have two more, uh, two more um, sermons in the book of Acts. And um, there's a part of me that looks forward to what's to come. There's a part of me that is like really just loves Acts and would want to go back over and dig in more. But as we've seen in the, where we are in the story, we've come to this place where um, Paul is, is there getting really close to Rome after a lot of struggles to get there. He finally gets to a place and he's in Malta and, and it seems like what lies ahead is, is calm seas. So verse 11, chapter 28, it says this, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who had guarded him. It's kind of interesting how Luke tells this part of the story. This is one of the reasons we always talk about context, studying context, understanding context, because if you read everything, if you just drop into verse 11 and don't read verse 16, you could be reading along going, all right, they're having a nice little vacation. They're having a nice journey. They're meeting friends along the way. It's awesome. But Luke tells us that part. And then in verse 16, he reminds us, Paul's still a prisoner. Paul was the same Paul who, who, you know, got on that ship, tried to advise, you know, the captain which way to go, went, through, went the opposite. The Paul that went through this storm, and then he became kind of the, the unofficial leader that helped them through this time. You know, the Paul who is shipwrecked, and now he gets to the island and, and he gets you know, bit by a snake. Same guy, same Paul. And then we see this period of, you know, a season where everything seems to be going really well and we're reminded, no, just because he did all that, doesn't mean, okay, now the Romans are going to let him go. Nope, he's still a prisoner. He's still being guarded. But I like that Luke puts this part of this in because we saw Paul's faith in the midst of the storm. And now we're seeing Paul's faith when things are going well. And you know, we, we get this, this specific mentions of things of that if you know Paul, they were the most important things to Paul. The fact that, that when they get to Puteoli, they found Christians 
And the idea that they found them is, is that they didn't necessarily know they were there. And, and it's like, oh, thank God, there's a church here. There's brothers already here. It's awesome. And then when you get down to uh, verse 15, Appius and three taverns, those are actually two different places. One is like 40-something miles from Rome. The other one's about 30-something miles from Rome. These people traveled, probably by foot, which means it was a day, day and a half, to meet Paul and to then walk with Paul in, into Rome. I love that. I love that God's like, you know, does these things for him. And Luke says, this is so important. I want to I include this in the story the importance of the other Christians in Paul's life. Some he knew, some he didn't know. And then finally, you know, we kind of get this other, this thing that, that the way Luke tells us, it's like he's not being thrown into a dark prison. Instead, he is going to actually rent an apartment and he stays in the apartment and a Roman soldier is there with him. That's what was afforded to him because he was a Roman citizen. And he, has, he can't come and go unless the Roman soldier is with him, but people can come and go. And we know next week when, when, when John brings the last sermon in this message, you know, we're going to read about how people did come and go and visited him. He receives letters, sends letters, and he's in this situation for two years, at least. And I like that, that Luke tells us the, the hard times and the good times. And I like that he presents it in such a way that Paul is faithful in the hard times and he's faithful in the good times. I like it that Luke shows us that in, in the in the hard times, Paul is successful because he's faithful. The hard times are not a sign of Paul's failing ministry. And the good times are not a sign of a successful ministry. It's not like this is a reward. It's not like this is Oh, this, is, this shows now God loves him. But, you know, when he was on the sea, we're not sure. That's, that's not Christianity. Unfortunately, that's a lot of modern people's understanding of Christianity. They think the good times in ministry are a sign of God's blessing or success. And it's a really dangerous way to think. We, we see, and you know, I, I think I told you guys when, when I was younger in Oklahoma, we used to go to this, this Baptist camp, which was called Falls Creek. And at the time, like there would be 30,000, 40,000 kids go to that camp over like a, over a four-week period. And we would go, but it was kind of a camp that we're, we would not really understand. Because if you go to camp here, you know, you go to Pukehe or you go to, you know, Timberline or something like that, Camp Erdman. But over there, 
Each church owned its own cabin. And you could tell how big the church was by how nice their cabin was. Our cabin from our little town was the worst cabin in the entire Baptist encampment. We used to have to go two or three weeks early to clean it out because apparently squirrels thought it was a nice place to live and other animals. So we would drive up there with my dad. You know, I probably didn't really help clean it out, but I was there. And then, you know, we'd go back and then we'd be ready to use it. And it wasn't just only that it was the worst. We actually shared it with another church. So it's like two of us had the worst. And I used to go and hang out with my friends that I would meet when I would go there and I was only in elementary school and then we'd get to know each other through some of the programs. And then they would tell me, hey, you want to come over to ours? And I'd get over there and it's like some of them had air conditioning. They had pool tables or ping pong tables. You know, everything was nice. And I was just like, what's wrong with my church? You know, <laughs> how come? You know, why is God giving them this? And, and, and it's, it's an easy mindset to get into that if God is blessing us, with whatever we think we should be blessed by, that, that that's actually a sign that we're doing it right. It's not true. I, I don't want to list for you, but I could sadly list for you successful church after successful church that, that just is crumbling from the inside where you have people that they're successful because it's very businesslike. Pastor runs a tight ship. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. But is there true Christian community where we love each other so much that when one of our hearts breaks, we all grieve together? Do we know each other so well that when one of us rejoices, we all feel joy. We have to be really careful about that. And one of the ways we can be careful is to look at Paul. Look at what Paul does. Look at what he says. And one of the questions we're going to wrestle with today is, how can Paul be this way? How can he be this rock through all through all of these circumstances. You have to be careful. You know when King David commits his most egregious sin, egregious sin, he commits it when things seem to be going well. What Paul sees is whether it's good whether it's bad, whether it's tedious and boring and routine, he always sees things as opportunities. Opportunities. And we're going to look at that. He always sees them as opportunities for growth, opportunities for evangelism, opportunities for fellowship. Can you imagine you're one of the Roman soldiers who's in this apartment with Paul and people come to see him 
And they're always just talking about Jesus. They're talking about Christianity. They're talking about the churches. They're asking for his advice. He's writing letters, sending it to people. Imagine that they're looking at him like, dude, you're a prisoner. And Paul, because he has this mindset, and I think sometimes we miss this, because of the mindset that he has, and by the way, it's not a mindset he self-generated. It's one that comes through Jesus Christ because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. But because he has this, Paul, the, the little prisoner in the small apartment, has done more to affect the world than anybody living in his time. When's the last time you read one of the Emperor Nero's letters? Anybody? Recently? Hundreds of millions, if not billions of people read letters Paul wrote while he was in prison. That dude, that little guy in that little cell, that little apartment, has probably helped change your life by bringing God's word to you. It's amazing. And we look at this, this whole story, this part 11 through 16, this grace after grace, and what we see, we, we, what we see God's grace expressed is that he blesses us in, in good ways that we don't deserve. Paul's not like, hey, I deserve this. He's, no, it's been hard. I was so awesome on the ship. Now I'm, I need a break. Thank you, God. You, did, you know, I, I earned this. No. He blesses us in ways we don't deserve. And you, you, we need to understand this. We need to understand that his blessings aren't a blessing that we've earned. That somehow, like, like I've merited this. And I, w- I want us to compare real quickly, like, what's, what's going through right now is good seas. And in good seas, Paul saw that as a blessing. He sees this as a blessing. But Paul also saw in the rough seas, it was a blessing. It was an opportunity in the rough seas to show what someone who really believes in Jesus Christ, who's been transformed by him, who knows what God says, believes in him, has confidence that God will do. He gets to show what that looks like. And it's a blessing. He gets to calm people who are just freaking out. It's a blessing. He gets to be there to give them this key sage advice that that saves everyone when the sailors want to abandon the ship. That saves the prisoners when the soldiers want to kill them. It's opportunities. You know, we, we, we see this as a blessing that he gets to be with his brothers from Puteoli in Rome. But we also saw on the ship, he's surrounded by mostly non-Christians. And for Paul, that's a blessing too. 
And my wife and I have often worked in, in Christian environments. And, and some, you know, a lot of times we're like, you know, that's great. And it's a blessing. And I love when I'm with Christian brothers and sisters that we can, you know, we can talk about things a certain way. We can pray about things. We have this common understanding. But it's also a blessing to be in the middle of non-Christians. If you see it as an opportunity to show them the difference Christ has made in your life, to share with them the gospel, to be there, to give them that, that, that key insight and advice that they're going to need. It's a blessing. And now Paul has the blessing, which all of you introverts internally are going to say, amen, hallelujah. You'd never say it out loud because you're an introvert. But Paul was allowed to stay by himself. You're like, that's my life verse. I want that verse. Paul was allowed to stay by himself. It's a blessing. Because as I said, what is Paul able to do when he's by himself? Well, one of the things he's able to do is he's able to write these letters to minister to these churches. We have at least four letters that we know of that are in the New Testament that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned. But it was also a grace to be in the middle of 267 people. It's easy to say God is good when everything seems to be going well. But what we see with Paul is God's good when things are going well. God's good when the seas are crazy and it's dark and, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen and we're going to live or die. He's good then too. He's good when, he's, when Paul's being falsely accused. You see, Paul didn't lament or believe God abandoned him on the seas. And it's because he knew God did not owe him anything. God did not owe him one single blessing. What he owed him, if anything, was judgment. But what God had already done in Paul's life is poured out grace upon grace upon grace. But it's because he saw those things as grace. He did not see the good things as things he deserved, and he did not see the hard times as somehow punishment. He saw it all as opportunity to live out his faith in different situations with different people, to share the gospel in different situations with different people. That's how he saw his life. Christianity wasn't just like a compartment, like a piece of his life. It had so radically transformed who he was. Every opportunity, whether he was intentionally thinking about it or not, every situation was an opportunity, whether good or bad. It's such a huge difference between so many of us, and I'm, I include myself in this. When I go through hard times, I, 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 I lament you know, you talk to some people going through hard times, they doubt, they disbelieve. And a lot of that is rooted in, God, how could you do this to me? Why would you let this happen? Those questions are rooted in the sense that somehow God owes you. And I'm going to say things that, 
you know, I don't, I'm kind of careful about using examples because I want to be sensitive to people going through these situations. Because I'm not saying you should pretend not to care. Remember, when Paul was on the, the sea in the middle of the storm, he got wet too. He got cold too. I don't want, I don't want to give that impression but I want to say that when you're in the midst of suffering, if you're thinking not, I don't deserve this, but instead you're thinking, God, how are you using this as an opportunity? It doesn't stop you from hurting, but it changes you, and it changes what you are going to do in that situation. It changes your mentality, your approach, your perspective. Hard times doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Hard times sometimes mean God trusts you. He says, I need people to see how, how my, my children, the ones that I know get it, I need them to see I need others to see what it looks like when they go through these tough times. We need to understand grace. We need to really understand grace. Because when we understand grace, in good times, in bad times, in boring times, it helps us to focus on what really matters. You know, Paul kind of sums it up in this letter that he writes while he's imprisoned. And a lot of you know part of this verse, but do you know all of it? It's, 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 from, it's from Philippians chapter 4. By the way, I don't have a slide for it. Don't be hunting for it. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord. So he's writing to this church. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. He's like, he's like, I rejoiced when I heard you guys were worried about me. You were concerned. Poor Paul in prison. We got, we got to do something. We got to help. We got to reach out. So, so they, they sent a letter. Sent a communication somehow. And he goes, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, Paul is not saying, I don't try, I just give in. Paul has already said, I would really like to be out of this place so I can take, take the gospel to other parts of the world. But, but he says, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Get it? This isn't something, by the way, that sadly it happens in places that rhyme with Mexus. But, you know, you go to the high school football game and they have like a banner 
for the football team to run through. And it says, I can do all things through Christ. And like, yeah, I don't think he was talking about a football game. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't talking about, you know, anything other than in every situation, I can faithfully represent Jesus Christ. I can faithfully share the gospel. I can faithfully minister. In other words, I can faithfully allow them to be opportunities not because of me, but because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how. That's why. And we're going to do something here that I don't usually do, but I'm doing it because I think it actually is going to help us. I want us to spend some time in Philippians, chapter 1. And, and again, I, I tend not to do this a lot because then I kind of have to unpack the context for a completely different set of scriptures. So I'm going to give you like the, the quick version, the context. I've already said, this is Paul. He's writing, and the people believe it's sometime during this time when he's imprisoned um, and under house arrest, I guess is the better way to say it. And, and you, he's giving them an update. He's telling them, you know, thank you for your concern. Here's what's going on. And the message is very much along the lines of what I just read from verses 10 through 13. That what he's trying to communicate about how he is dealing with this situation is he's in some way saying, that's how you should too. And as I read chapter 1, and I thought about cutting and just only reading excerpts, but I'm going to read the whole thing. But I need you to listen actively because we're trying to find out more about what Paul, you know, why Paul thought the way he thought. What was it about him when he says, Christ has transformed my mind, Christ has strengthened me. What, what did that look like? What, 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 you know, what, what can we can kind of connect with to try to understand and I want you to think as I'm reading these two things. What brings Paul joy? One thing. The second thing is, what is Paul praying for? Remember, he's under house arrest. He's going to face an appeal before the emperor who could let him go, who could kill him, who could keep him under house arrest or put him in a, in a real prison. That guy writes this in that situation. What brings him joy and what does he pray for? This is, what, this is what Paul writes. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my re remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. That does not sound like a guy in Paul's situation. That does not sound like the letter I would write. That's Paul. That's Paul. And what Paul is doing is Paul is reminding them of God's grace. He's reminding them of his grace in terms of how he has blessed them, how he has given them a mission. He's reminding them of that. And I would love to just dig in and unpack all of this, but I just want us to kind of get an understanding of Paul's mindset. 
when we look at what brings him joy, what does he pray for? And if you look in verses 1 through 11, if we go back there, and again, we always give you an advertisement for Wednesday night. We spend more time on these things on Wednesday night. Love to have you join us. But in verses 1 through 11, and especially when we get into 3 through 11, Paul is, is writing about how, how he's praying for them that they would abound they would abound in love, that love would also have knowledge and discernment. And what he's helping them understand is that God is doing this for a reason. God's grace is this. He equips his children for service. He equips his children for service. You know, if, if you've ever been in this really good situation where you've either been the boss or you've been the coach or you've been the parent, and you have, you, have, you know, either the kids or the students or the, um, you know, the employees or the team, people on your team, that they, they, they want to serve, they want to be used. If you've ever been in that situation then they find it a blessing when you spend time with them, when you help them, when you, when you work through them and even have to kind of be hard on them and scold them at times. They like it because they know I'm being equipped to be used and they want to be used. That should be our attitude as, as believers in Christ. We shouldn't think like, oh, I'm trying to do as little as possible, you know? I used to work in a government job, and I'm not going to tell you which state, but it's one close to us. And I was told early on by one of the people who had been there a while, don't work too hard, because they'll just keep expecting more of you. And I thought, wow, I need to get out of this place. Don't show initiative. They'll just keep giving you more responsibilities. No, as believers in Christ, we should see it's a grace. God has blessed this church with so many ways that people can be equipped in knowledge of God's word, equipped in ministry so many ways and we shouldn't see it as it's a duty i got to do that it's like no you are you are being blessed with an ability opportunity to be equipped but so many people in church they they think of it as like oh it's just one more thing i already do this i got to do that no that's not how we look at blessings. We look at blessings as, that's awesome, God. You are blessing us. It's this 
joy that, you know, Paul writes about. And he says, it's a joy because we're gospel partners. And I don't think Paul's using the word partner lightly. He's, he's saying, you are a partner. That means you are actually doing some of the same things I'm doing. We're partners. I'm not just patronizing you and patting on your head and say, hey, buddy, we're partners. It's like, no, you are contributing to the ministry. And it's a grace from God. And notice how he, he holds together, and we, we try to hold this together here as, you know, as much as we can and remind people it's not just about love and it's not just about holiness, but that love, knowledge, discernment that we abound in them all. We cannot just be experts in the truth and absent of love, and we can't just be, oh, all about love and not no truth, or think that my love, I'm going to compromise the truth. No. He wants them to have all of this, and he says, so that you might approve what is excellent. In other words, you might, you might recognize what is right, what is righteous, what is God's way, and not just recognize it, you approve of it. And I love how he ends that section by saying, this is to the glory of God. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it for our self-fulfillment on my path to you know, actualization. No. We're doing this as glory to God. I could have also asked you this question. What does he not pray for? And nowhere in here do you pray, see Paul praying for his own safety. He doesn't pray for his release. Even when he's praying for the Philippians, here he doesn't say, I want your church to grow. I hope you have a building campaign. I hope you finish that gymnasium. You know, I hope you start new programs. No, he says, I want you to abound in love. That's what I'm praying for. Love with knowledge and discernment. That's what I'm praying for. Gives us an insight into Paul's brain. The second part is 12 through 20. And 12 through 20, you know, it's again, it's so surprising. But it says, he talks about how the gospel is being proclaimed. And this is God's grace. God's grace is that he gives his followers, he gives his children opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Evangelism shouldn't be a duty. It shouldn't be something we're afraid of. It should be an opportunity. It should be seen as a blessing. I think the mindset that I grew up in when I was in church is that we were being trained for sharing our faith and then we were like trying to figure out the situations or how to create the situation so we could share our faith. And it was really nothing like Paul. Paul just shows up wherever he shows up, and he assumes that somehow the gospel is going to be proclaimed in that situation. Sometimes it might be someone saying something. A lot of times it is. But other times it was just being Christian, being Christ-like. But it was, it was 
not this idea that, that you know, I, I, I have to find the perfect moment to share the gospel. I think there are moments when, when it's really clear, share the gospel. I think there are other moments when it's like, this is not the time. But I do think, as believers in Christ, if we become more and more like Christ and, and even just get to the level of how Paul was, every, every situation we're in is an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. We don't have to go manufacturing them or trying to look for them. They're there. And, you know, the way he says it, he says, he says, the entire imperial guard, all the, 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 the soldiers that the emperor had chosen to protect himself, all of them now know. He didn't say all of them were believers, but he said they all know. They all know why I'm here. They know it's for the cause of Christ, which then assumes they know something about Jesus. Again, Paul, the prisoner, we should put quotation marks. Paul, the prisoner, has somehow managed, without leaving a room, to share the gospel with the entire palace guard. It's a great plan, God. You want me to share with the whole palace guard. If that's what God told us, I want you to share with this whole, with the entire state legislature. We would like, come up with all our plans. And I don't think it would look anything like God's plan. Oh, you're going to be a prisoner. And you know that Roman soldier who has to sit with you all day? He's going to hear. And then he's going to go tell others what he heard. And then they're going to change him and they're going to bring in somebody else. And each one is going to be there. And some of them probably in quiet moments are going to have this personal audience with Paul. Paul, what are you talking about? I hear what you're saying. What does that mean? That's so unlike anything I've heard before. It's because being under arrest, Paul saw as an opportunity. whole imperial guard. He then talks about how people outside, like other Christians are like, oh man, Paul's, Paul can't get out. Paul's under arrest. We need to now step up. We need to stand in the gap. We need to do more. And he goes, that's awesome. I'm kind of sad it took me you know, being arrested for that to happen, but it happened. That's awesome. Go. And he even addresses those who are doing it because they're kind of like, oh, Paul's gone, maybe I can be the number one person. And he goes, I don't care right now. I mean, that's not good. I don't want that. But you know what? Praise God, the gospel is being proclaimed. It's all about the gospel. Paul even can say he rejoices if he has to die. And he realizes even his death is a gospel opportunity. But it's only a gospel opportunity because of 
who he was before he became a Christian, who he has been since he became a Christian, and who he is now in Christ. That everybody who knows that, when they see Paul being executed, it's a testimony to the gospel. But it's because of his life. It's not just because he was willing to die for his faith. To really make our, our, if we ever got to the situation where we suddenly are facing martyrdom as Christians again, for it to actually like have the impact, it's going to be because people know who we were before Christ came. They know what has happened since Christ has come into our lives and they know who, know who we are today. It matters. That's Paul. It's not enough for people just to think we're good people. They need to know why we're good. They need to know our story in Christ. We know that about Paul. He had Luke to write it for him. Most of us don't have a Luke. We're going to have to get to know people, share with people, and help them understand and help them see the evidence. The last point, 22 through 30. And this is, we saw this first in the, in the Acts passage where God blesses Paul with these brothers in Christ. And we see Paul kind of expressing how important that is in verses 22 through 30. He, he talks about like, I'm kind of torn. I want to die so I can go be with Jesus, but I need to stay because I think you guys are a little shaky and I want to be there to help you and encourage you. And, and it's almost like Paul's like, oh well, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be released, you know, and I'm going to be released so I can go back and encourage you and encourage others because my work's not done. Paul understands this, this connection with his brothers and sisters in Christ and, and the need we have for each other. He's, he's, telling them that and then later on he talks about how he also will be encouraged when he hears that they are standing firm in one spirit that they are striving side by side for the gospel he even says like that's the one of the reasons that's so important that we are truly united in love in a way that no other group organization can experience. He says it's so important because when, when people who aren't Christians, who even hate you for being Christians, when they see it, you're taking away their excuse. They may be saying, it's not possible. It's, you know, that's not human nature. But when they see it, they suddenly have to say, no, it is possible. It's a clear sign. But it's also an encouragement to us when we are truly a church, the way God wants us to be a church, it is evidence to us 
a sign to us of the salvation that Jesus promised. You see, Paul, he's just got this transformed mind, this different way of viewing the world from so many people and sadly from so many Christians. I'm not saying you're there on the side of the world or you're there on the side of Paul. I don't know. Maybe you do. But the question is, what can we do? Well, it's something we've been talking about throughout Acts. It's turn toward God. Turn toward his word. But also turn toward each other. See your brothers and sisters in Christ as well as all the opportunities for growth and ministry, see them as graces. This church is a grace. And as we see each other and we see this church and we see the opportunities to grow and serve together as grace, then we will become more of a God's grace to this world. We will be more of God's gift to this world. And that all begins by making sure we are turning toward God and moving toward God, turning toward his word, building a community here at the church. There's no necessarily prescription about how, you know, step by step how to do this. But I can tell you this, there's ample opportunity to do this here. There's ample opportunity to build relationships here, to be in God's word, to be helped and equipped for his service. Those of you who are taking advantage of that, awesome. Those of you who aren't, figure out what's missing. 